The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Shed a million tears and drink as many old style beers out at the game. Let's go, Cubby Sun Rento, Sun Rento, Sun Rento and the love of Lucy. Sun Rento, Sun Rento, Sun Rento and the love of Lucy. Podcast listeners, this is Danny Rocket of the Sun Ranto Show, and uh, today um, thought we'd close out the uh, 2015 year here by talking to none other than Joshua Nelson from the Southside Sox, so he can uh, let us Cub fans in on what maybe the uh, White Sox have done this off season, uh, because I know not a lot of us pay attention to anything that's not Cubs related, so uh, I'm going to force it upon you. Um, so, Josh uh, from Southside Sox, welcome to the Sun Ranto Show. Hey, thanks for having me on again. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I should mention that this is your what third time on the show. It is. Yeah, it is. You're like our go-to American League Southside expert. I feel very privileged to be that person for you. Well, the cool thing about it is, like, you blow us away with like you know, advanced stats and stuff because we, we don't do, they're like, well, you know, in the minors, he batted 283 against left-handers. We're like, we know none of that stuff. I mean, we are the typical Cub fans over here on the North side that are just like, we love Wrigley and beer, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then, yeah. and then you, you bring the knowledge. Well, you kind of have to, in order to be a White Sox fan, <laughs> <As of late. laughs> Yeah, but- try to, Unearth some good news. Well, you guys do have delicious corn at... Uh, yes. Yeah. What, uh, elotes, I believe they call them. Elotes. Yes. Yeah. Very good. So, we never uh, knew that uh, cheese and mayo would taste so good with uh, sweet corn. <laughs> uh, no, we didn't know that. But the White Sox... Uh, well, actually, it was the Mexicans that invented it. The White Sox uh, just kind of sell them. I kind of wish yeah. they sold something like that at Wrigley Field. I mean, the food... Down at Sox Park is so much better than at Wrigley Field. It's ridiculous. Like, um, I, I sometimes I, I do wish that uh, you know we had one of those modern stadiums that could uh, provide better better ballpark fare than the hot dog and pretzel overpriced hard stale pretzel that they serve you at Wrigley Field. But um, so, how's the off season treating you, Josh? Well, the offseason for a White Sox fan has been uh, up and down, uh, definitely some ebbs and flows throughout the offseason. Right now where they stand, I think for White Sox fans, we're on our toes waiting for something to happen. And that one thing to happen is, are the White Sox actually going to make a significant signing in free agency? Uh, the most significant signing the White Sox have ever had via free agency, uh, are Jose Abreu, mm-hmm. uh, when they signed him to the six-year, $68 million deal, 
And prior to Jose Abreu, Albert Bell. If you remember Albert Bell, <laughs> yeah, I do. It wasn't he was a uh, an Indian maybe before? Yeah, and the White Sox signed him away from Cleveland uh, back in uh, 1997 for five years, 55 million dollars. So back in 1997, that's a lot of money. Uh, however, Jose Abreu is the largest free agent signing the White Sox have ever made, and they have never made a signing for more than 100 million dollars. And it's obvious that they need help in the outfield. And it seems like through the rumors right now that you read on Twitter yeah. that they are in the hunt for Jonas Cespedes uh, from the New York Mets. Obviously, Cubs fans got to know him very well. <laughs> Unfortunately. And, oh, and, a little uh, dig there, Joshy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Alex Gordon uh, of the Kansas City Royals. Which would and, be a uh, double win if you can get him from the Royals yeah. it's you know we did that a, a little bit to another Missouri team this year in our in yes, the Cubs offseason yeah so it hasn't been as exciting as on the north side I mean if you look at the Cubs you know they really set the market as far as positional player side and I thought everything would have been faster Danny to be honest with you after Jason Hayward signed with the Cubs I thought okay we're gonna see Cespedes sign we're gonna see Upton sign Alex Gordon's gonna sign that hasn't happened. And when Ben Zobra signed, I thought, all right, we're going to see Daniel Murphy sign. We're, we're going to see these flurry of free agent signings. Well, Murphy hasn't signed, happened. I think, didn't he? Yeah, he signed finally on Christmas Eve for a lot fewer years and money than I thought he was going to get. Only three years, $36 million at one point. When he was hitting home runs against the Cubs, everybody thought, well, hey, Murphy's going to get a big payday. He's going to get five years, $80 million. He, he got nowhere close to that just because after everybody settled down and they got to take a look at what he has to offer, the, no team wanted to give him more than $40 million, I guess. Any, anybody uh, can have a good couple of weeks. Not, I mean, not me. You know, I mean, I can't go out there right. and have a, you know, hit 300 for a couple of weeks and a bunch of home runs. But, you know, any any major league ball player like Daniel Murphy. And, and I think that people, you know, once the hype was over, they're like, well, he's not little Babe Ruth all of a sudden. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So where the White Sox stand right now, and I think where Major League Baseball stands, is that I don't think any team really wants to give Jonas Cespedes six years. He wants that. Right. I just don't see any team willing to give him that. Because if there was a team, Danny, that was willing to give Jonas Cespedes six years in a free agent signing, he would have been signed already. So well, I think he's 30 because, years old right now. Yeah, he's 30. He's, yep. he's been in the league for th three years, and he's been on four different teams in that time. Does that worry you at all that, you know, everybody, they like the A's took him and then they traded him to Boston? It right. seems like he's all he's good for is like a late season boost to your lineup, <laughs> you know, at, after the trade at the trade deadline. Yeah, I, I see him his as career. A, yeah, I, I do see him as a valuable asset. A lot of people worry if he is a clubhouse distraction, if he's a hothead. That's something that I keep hearing out in social media. I, I don't think so. I think he's a valuable asset that teams covet, especially if you need late season power. Oh, it just so happens to be that he's an above average base runner. He's not going to steal bases, but he's excellent on advancing as far as the base pass. He he's does a great job smarts, going from yeah. first to third. Yep. Yeah. And
He's got a cannon of an arm. We all know oh, that. Yeah. yeah, we saw that, uh, unfortunately. In yeah, he that series last fall. <laughs> right. And he doesn't I mean his glove's okay. His glove is good. Uh he won the gold glove in the American League because of his arm. Let's just call it what it is. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that there's a lot of positives, but as you mentioned, Danny, he's thirty. He'll turn thirty one during the season. We know that power begins to decline. We know defense begins to decline, especially glove and range. So what is he going to be moving forward? And I think, you know, every team, including the Cubs and the White Sox, they have this huge database and they have their own projection models. I I think the Cubs have either the largest or the second largest baseball operation staff. It's either them or the Los Angeles Dodgers Mm -hmm. where Theo and Jed have all these Ivy league guys doing all these types of projections. That's why they ended up signing Ben Zobrist. Uh, and that's why they made the type of offer they did to Jason Hayward. You know, really smart people doing really smart things behind the scenes. And when you have really smart people doing really smart things behind the scenes and you look at Jonas Cespedes and you look at Alex Gordon and you look at Justin Upton, they see flaws. And they see these three guys maybe not worth the six years, 100 plus million dollars, that we all thought they were going to get. Now, a team has already screwed this up, and that team is the Baltimore Orioles, <laughs> mm. who gave a ridiculous offer to Chris Davis that he was even dumber to turn down. It was like seven years, $155 million. No other team in Major League Baseball is going to offer that to Chris Davis. And he yet he turned them down, and he believes he's going to get that type of money. And honestly, if you think Chris Davis should deserve that type of money, Jonas Cespedes and Justin Upton probably deserve more than more him. Than that, so I, yeah. I, I think that's where we are today. I do not see owners and GMs budging. I just don't. And if you're an agent for any of these guys or you're a baseball fan, just really fascinated on this particular offseason where the free agents are going. I think these players are going to have a rude awakening in the next couple of weeks that no, this is our best offer. It's yeah. four to five years. Sure, it's hovering around $100 million or a little less, but we're not going to go higher than that. And you know what? If you believe you can get a better deal, go pound sand. Here's our standing offer. Well, how, and much do you, you don't... how much do you think that is because of the way that teams rebuild these days, which is basically to totally throw the baby out with the bathwater? And, like, look at what the Reds did. You know, you get they traded everybody. I'm surprised Votto's not gone yet. Chapman's gone. Uh, you guys get, took uh, – the White Sox took Todd Frazier. Um, right. You know, is it is it because of that? Are there just not enough slots? And they're like, well, I'm not going to spend a lot of money for some guy, pay him 30-some-odd million dollars a year for, you know, for however long, and then and then still have a bad team. And, and they, so the people aren't signing these guys. They're like, well, I'm just going to use the AAA guy because who cares? We're just going to draft and draft and draft until our, 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 you know, like the Cubs, till you have a rookie class like the Cubs did last year with Schwarber and Solaire and Addison Russell. Um, is that – and Bryant, of course. Uh, is that kind of the issue, you think, that people just aren't willing to spend because they want to be bad for a few years? I think there is the feeling throughout baseball that there's a lot of teams planning to tank, especially in the National League. The Phillies are going to tank. 
We've already seen the Braves start. You the mentioned Reds. the Cincinnati Reds. The Milwaukee Brewers have made it very clear that they want to tank and try to reduce as much salary as possible. Uh, honestly, if a team called up, uh, uh, I believe his name is David Stearns now, who's the new general manager, 30 years old, and he's the general manager of a baseball team. Crazy. Uh, but I think if you picked up the phone and you asked about Ryan Braun, they would actually listen and consider moving Ryan Braun because they just want to cut as much cash as possible. And restock, yeah, restock, and restock. back in the so, minors. So that's four teams in the National League. In the American League, I just don't see any teams willing to do that. So if you were in the National League, uh, if you're like the Los Angeles Dodgers, uh, who got a wake-up call because who expected the Arizona Diamond Diamondbacks to spend? To Yeah, to stack up like they did. Right. If you are going up against, if you know you're targeting a free agent and the other teams are American League teams, you know with the American League teams that it's going to be, there's a lot of parity in that league. I really don't see a lot of 95 win teams in the American League just because I think everybody realistically thinks that they have a chance of either winning division or making the playoffs. Especially in the, in the uh, Central the AL yeah, Central. And I, it, everybody so played to each other right to even. I mean, Cleveland only a game above uh, 500 at the end of the year last year, and, and right. they missed. They didn't play one game. They were 81 and 80. So I don't know what happened there, but uh, but even they were in the wild card till at least the last few weeks of the season. The White Sox it, were in it. Still. Yeah, they were in July. Much, yeah, right but... around the trade deadline. They were a game and a half behind. Uh, that's how that's how tight it was all year. 85 wins got you into the playoffs in the American yeah. League. It took 97 for the Cubs to get the final wild card spot. That's a huge difference. But because you do have teams that are planning to tank. Now, let's say planning to tank because we really don't know everybody's agenda. Honestly, the Colorado Rockies should be tanking. The San Diego Padres probably should be tanking. Uh, So those are two more teams in the National League. Uh, Honestly, in the National League, it's it's like a six to seven team race. It's not going to be as interesting or as crazy in the American League. It will be a tight race in the National League, which always adds intrigue, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, But it it won't be, I don't think, as chaotic as the American League where you're going to have like 10 teams in the race of trying to make it to playoffs. So I think, Danny, there's part of that where right now – just throughout baseball, you just get a gut feeling that there's not a lot of teams willing to spend. And the teams that are willing to spend, like the Chicago White Sox, are teams that are that have not spent a lot of money in free agency. Based on the White Sox past spending habits, Dexter Fowler is right up more in their alley of who, the type of player they would sign mm-hmm. than Jonas Cespedes. And right. even signing Fowler to, let's say, a three-year, $48 million deal or a five-year, $60 million deal, that would still be one of the largest free agent signings <laughs> the White Sox have ever made. So, so you guys and, didn't give that kind of money to Dion or Navarro, huh? <laughs> no, I think he got one year, four million, <laughs> which uh, I don't want to talk about how they went about that as far as adding the catcher spot. Uh, but I think that that's part of that as well. The other thing that I'm curious about, Danny, is that this is the last year of the collective bargaining agreement in Major League Baseball. 
And obviously, we're going to see changes. One being service time. Um, the we may hear it be called the Chris Bryant rule. Yeah, I think so. On how, <laughs> on how teams handled that, uh, which we know is just total BS on what the Cubs did. Um, but they it was the smart move. I mean, this is the the policy. Here are the rules. Yeah, keep them back one day to earn one year. You would be an idiot, idiot an to not idiot do it. Yeah. to not do that. Uh, I think that that will change. I think the qualifying offer will change because with Dexter Fowler, for the White Sox, the reason why they haven't gone and signed a Dexter Fowler yet is because they earned a comp pick with Jeff Samarja signing with the San Francisco Giants. So and they'll lose that if they take exactly Fowler, right? Yeah. Exactly. And that pick right now is pick 28. So if you're the White Sox, you know that you're going to get two of the top 30 players coming up in the MLB draft unless you sign a free agent's got a qualifying offer to them. Is Dexter Fowler worth a first-round pick? I don't think so, and I don't think many people in Major League Baseball think so. So that's why Dexter Fowler – Dexter Fowler, honestly – Right now, the way it's looking and the way that's pacing, Danny, may not sign to Valentine's Day. Yeah. And that's a shame because he's really good and he can help a team. But, but just the way to... that everything. Yeah, nobody wants to give up the pick. Nobody wants to give up the pick, right? And money-wise. So, you know, Cespedes doesn't have a draft pick attached to him, which is great for every team in Major League Baseball. But that's what makes him so expensive. Justin Upton and Alex Gordon cost a draft pick. And for the White Sox, if they do pull a Chicago Cubs, like they signed Hayward away from the St. Louis Cardinals, if they sign Alex Gordon away from the Royals, sure, that's great. He's not facing you anymore. But now that pick is going over to the Royals. To the Royals. Who, who honestly, the way that they have been acting, the defending World Series champions, they are the back-to-back American League pennant winners. They have all this playoff revenue, Danny, and they are not willing to spend it. Yeah, that That is interesting to me. I wonder if the Royals know that this core may have a season or two left in them, and maybe they are going to be planning on tanking. Uh, I, I just... I just don't know where a lot of teams are thinking as far as where their heads are at. So that's why in the American League, it's just it's really chaotic. Uh, but I think those two points, the one that you mentioned, teams tanking, that obviously impacts the market because that's fewer teams willing to spend. And I'm wondering if teams are just being patient for the new collective bargain agreement. Now, the good news is, is that with the collective bargain agreement uh, being agreed to after this season, uh, the free agency class is extremely weak. <laughs> so yeah. we, we really won't see it in play as far as how it impact everybody until 2018. 2018 um, is the next big free agent class year. Right? Oh, that, that's the ridiculous one. Bryce Harper, mm-hmm. uh, Andrew McCutcheon. Wow. They're, I mean, we're, we're talking a billion dollars will be spent that well, offseason. I mean, uh, tw- 2018 is a, is a while away. A lot can happen but in the next two years that changes everything, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I think that's where teams are. But, you know, as you have learned in the last couple of years as a Cubs fan, there's a delicate balance on building a team to win now and also win in the future. And I think every team in baseball wants to get to that point. Every team in baseball, I think, wants to be like the St. Louis Cardinals, where, yeah, it hurts to lose Jason Hayward. 
but you got Piscotty, who's got a lot of talent that can slot into right field. Right. Day one and provides you a lot of value. Oh, and if you don't make any other moves, you have four of the top 50 picks in the upcoming draft. Right. So you can reload if you're the St. Louis Cardinals. That's just every team in baseball wants to be the St. Louis Cardinals. It just takes years to get to that point. And I think a lot of teams, including both teams in Chicago, are trying to get there. Uh, the Cubs, though, they're a winning team. They have to win now. They still have a lot of talent, so they have a longer window, say the White Sox, which their core is Chris Sale, Jose Abreu, Jose Quintana, and uh, Adam Eaton, including now Todd Frazier, who they acquired from Cincinnati in that three-team trade. They got to win now yeah. because their farm system is not ready to – come in and help them at all so that's why the white Sox should be active and the white Sox, especially jerry reinstorf and his buddies his partners that own the white Sox, just need to spend the cash this offseason and they should acquire Jonas suspidus uh, yeah that would be i mean i've really liked Jonas suspidus i do you know as i said before you know when i see a guy bouncing around to a bunch of teams you gotta wonder what's going on there but you know he obviously is an impact player and, you know, when I look at the White Sox depth in the outfield right now, you obviously got Cabrera, you got, uh, you pick up Jerry Sands. Do you, is he like a, <laughs> uh, from the Cleveland Indians, is he uh, like a fourth outfielder type or fifth he's outfielder plan C. maybe? He's, he's plan C. He's, he's plan <laughs> C. If, uh, I, Jerry Sands most likely is going to start the year in Charlotte uh, okay. down in AAA. Um, Adam Eaton, still with the team. Yes. Uh, you got uh, Avisel Garcia, still. Yeah, and he, that is an area of heated debate as far as what do you do with Avi. He's the one that's really causing some troubles. He, in reality, Danny, he's the reason why the White Sox have to go sign a Jonas Cespedes. Okay, could, could you expand on that? What do you mean? Well, he's 25 years old, and a lot of people would look at him. He he had a horrible year last year, Danny. He was one of the five worst players in Major League Baseball in terms of war, wins above replacement. Uh, offensively horrible, defensively horrible, base running, he was worse. There's not an aspect of his game last year that's a positive, that you can take going to 2016 to have any type of confidence that, yeah, he's going to be a value to the White Sox. Because, but you know, everybody keeps saying that, well, he's young. He's 25 years old. However, he's had a thousand plate appearances. He's been in the major league since 21. He has been injury prone. So that also is not a positive whatsoever. You can't send him down to AAA because he's just going to wow you. He, he has so much power, and AAA pitching is so pathetic these days. Yeah. He's going to hit 330, and he's going to have like 25 home runs, and then you're going to be like, hey, this guy can hit, and he comes to the major leagues, and nope, he can't. Uh, his swing, his offense approach is horrible. Uh, his approach, he swings at so many pitches outside of the strike zone, and when he makes contact, he has no power. And watching some video of him to try to understand what the problem is, in baseball, when you're teaching a little leaguer how to hit, one of the common things that you tell them is 60-40. You want to keep 60% of your weight towards the back end or your back butt cheek is what some coaches will say. To try to keep balance as you're moving forward through the swing play, 
uh, swing plane to make contact with the ball. And Avi does not have that. Avi is like 30-70, where 70% of his weight is on his front foot and 30% is on the back. When he does make contact, the shoulders are over his front foot, so he has no drive going into the ball. In addition to that, because he's not balanced and he's leaning in when he's swinging, he doesn't have an uppercut, so he's pounding the ball into the ground. Mm -hmm. And this guy at 6'4", 240 pounds, um, he's trying to lose some weight and be in better condition. But when he makes connection, when he really gets into one, this guy easily can hit it 450 feet. He should be hitting more than 20 home runs a season, but his swing's broken. He's horrible on defense. He doesn't walk he, a lot. He strikes out a ton. Exactly. So um, and you can't. Now, last year was the first year he even played over a hundred games, though. That's a concern, though. Yeah, that is a concern because the year prior he swan dived after a ball uh, and broke his collarbone. He just hasn't <laughs> been healthy. I mean, he's he would have had the opportunity. Uh, to start over 100 games prior to is just he got himself hurt. Uh, so with with Avi, if the White Sox are serious about winning now in 2016 and trying to make the playoffs, obviously Garcia is not part of that game plan. Yeah, He's just not. And that game plan went out the window as far as like kind of tread water and still rebuilding and let some of these guys develop, but also try to win. That went out the window when they acquired Todd Frazier. Because as soon as you acquire a player of the caliber of Todd Frazier, you got to go for it. Yeah. Because uh, right now I think they're projected to be about an 82 to 84 win team, which gets you in contention, but you got to do more than that. And that's why uh, back to where the White Sox, what the White Sox should do in the next couple of weeks is just finally spend the money and sign Jonas Cespedes just because it doesn't look like any other team is really that interested. Well, the other teams that I have heard that are interested, one of them is in the division, and that's the Detroit Tigers. And we all know eventually Mike Illich will just get impatient and use his little Caesars money, and he'll go sign Jonas Cespedes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, what, tell me about the Todd Frazier trade. Who'd you give up? Uh, sure. And, uh, you know, are you do you have concerns about the second half of Todd Frazier's year last year? It seems like the Reds were a better team on paper than they ended up being. Granted, they had an entire rookie starting rotation, which, you know, never helps. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, when you look at uh, Todd Frazier's numbers from last year, like post the All-Star break, he only had 10 home runs. He had 25 pre-All-Star. Um, right. But what's it? I mean, he's 29 years old. I, that's that's a great thing. He's young. You you have, you're stocked with third baseman right now with. Uh, well, Saladino, I guess, probably won't be playing short uh, third. You got Michael right. Brett Lowry, who also played third most of last year. Now, Todd Frazier, you have three, three straight third basemen right now. And uh, Todd Frazier is going to be the man. But do you have concerns with like his power numbers? And what did you give up for him? That's a lot of questions. Well, but. <laughs> no problem. Well, Brett Lowry will go back and he'll be playing second base for the White Sox. When he was originally drafted by the Milwaukee Brewers uh, several years ago, and when he first, when then he got traded to the Toronto Blue Jays and started getting some playing time, he was at second base. So the White Sox now since acquiring Todd Frazier, when they first acquired Brett Lowry from the A's, 
he was the third baseman. But now since acquiring Todd Frazier, they're going to move Lowry back to his original position when he was drafted to second base, and Todd Frazier will play third base. Uh, and as of the moment, Tyler Saladino would be the starting shortstop, but more to tell in that particular area. Um, but what the White Sox gave up, uh, I was on a conference call with the general manager of the White Sox, Rick Hahn, after the trade got completed uh, when he was speaking to reporters. And the way that, you know, Rick Hahn tells a story and what we've been able to piece together after the Dodgers, you know, may have had their press conference was that the Reds did not like the White Sox prospects whatsoever for the White Sox to just acquire Frazier from the Reds. And if you remember, the Dodgers and Reds had a deal in place to for the Dodgers at the time to acquire Raldis Chapman. Right. And through the grapevine, that was also going to be a three-team trade in which the White Sox were going to be involved. Uh, obviously, that fell through because of the domestic abuse situation yeah, that's surrounding Chapman. Asshole wife beater, yes. <laughs> yeah, and or girlfriend the, beater. The Yankees don't don't care, evidently. Um, no. So what ended up happening was the Dodgers really liked the three White Sox prospects, and Micah Johnson, the second baseman, Frankie Montas, the flamethrower. And Trace Thompson, the outfielder, who is the younger brother of Clay Thompson of the Golden State Warriors. Any relation they, to Bobby Thompson, the shot world, heard around the world? No. No, I just wonder. No, he comes from a basketball family. Okay. So, <laughs> um, so with with these with those three prospects, the Dodgers saw a lot of value in them. So the way it's worded is that the prospects the Dodgers were planning to give up for Araldis Chapman. They took those same prospects and offered the Reds for Todd Frazier. But the Dodgers didn't need a third baseman. They really liked Justin Turner, who's their current third baseman, uh, to continue to be the third baseman. Mm -hmm. So then they took Todd Frazier, and they turned around, and they made the deal with the White Sox for those three prospects. Uh, Frankie Montas will hit 98 to 102 miles per hour on the gun. Uh, He really wants to be a starter. The White Sox and the Miners... Um, I've been trying to groom him as a starter. He did get a couple of starts in Chicago. Honestly, I don't think he's a starter. I think uh, long-term he is a great seventh or eighth inning guy coming out of the bullpen and just let him throw it, man. I mean, he hit 102, and that's really tough to hit. It is a straight fastball, though. It doesn't have a lot of movement. He has been working on his slider, which, according to Montas, and late in 2015, he called that his strikeout pitch. So it'll be interesting to see how the Dodgers handle him. Trace Thompson is a great fourth outfielder. Trace Thompson was going to actually get a lot of playing time, Danny, if he stayed with the White Sox. Um, if Thompson was still on the team, I don't think the White Sox are serious about getting a Jonas Suspidus or Alex Gordon. Right. Not, not that they wouldn't want to really make a huge upgrade, uh, I just think that the team was comfortable letting Trace Thompson win the starting spot in right field. Uh, and he is, he would have been their best defensive outfielder. He could start in center for Adam Eaton some games. He can start in left. He can move him around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Micah Johnson, uh, there's not much to say about Micah. He's an offensive first, second baseman who has horrible hands. He has 80 speed. The guy can fly, but he constantly has leg injuries where he's pulling up. He's got a sore hammy or he pulls his hammy or his calves are barking on him. Uh, Just not good defensively. Uh, However, again, offensive first type of second baseman, uh, if he can get around and make better contact and 
develop his power a little bit, he, he could surprise you offensively. He would provide a lot of value in the sense of this is a guy who can hit 270, 280, has the capability of stealing 40 to 50 bases. And it's not out of the realm of seeing him get 35 doubles and 10 triples in a year. Uh, his speed is just outstanding. And if he is on the Dodgers 25-man roster this season, he's going to be used in late-inning situations where he's going to pinch run for maybe like a, a Chase Utley or somebody else that's really slow in the Dodgers. He's going to make things happen on base. Uh, but for who the White Sox gave up, I mean, losing Trace Thompson's the one that hurts the most. Um, but when you're acquiring someone like Todd Frazier and you've had horrible, absolutely horrible performances at third base for the last decade, right. with the exception of Gordon Beckham's rookie year in 2009, which was only half a season, right. and Joe Creedy back in 2006, I mean, yeah, you you take that sucker punch as far as losing Trace Thompson um, but you're smiling because you got a possible all-star at third base in Todd Frazier. Yeah. Well, I was uh, actually kind of surprised to, you know, any three-team trade is a little bit more difficult to pick apart than just a straight, you know, swap. But uh, it felt to me that when you guys signed Fra or traded for Frazier that um, you were ready to make a move because when I look at the White Sox pitching rotation – it's strong. Mm -hmm. it, you know, I mean, you got Sale, Quintana, Danks, Rodone, and then Eric Johnson as your number five right now. Would you say that's about what you're... Yeah, that's what they're going to be going into spring training with as their rotation, yeah. And then a, a great back end of the bullpen. You picked up... Uh, well, was Zach Duke on the team last year? Yeah, he was. He yeah. had a really disappointing year last year, but, I mean, if he bounces back, I mean, that's value for the White Sox. And, of course, David Robertson. David he, Robertson, even though yeah. Even though Duke and Robertson had an off year, the bullpen for the White Sox was vastly better. It was a 180 performance from what they had in 2014, which they had the worst bullpen in Major League Baseball. So it seems like you have the pitching to make it happen. Um, yes. You could use a, a one more outfielder. Uh, yes. Seem, uh, how about first base? I mean, it, I know uh, my White Sox fan friends – constantly complain about uh the man named adam laroche mm -hmm. um, and what he has brought to the table to the white Sox, which hasn't been much um it, no. it, i mean you have i mean what are you looking at abreu playing first abreu dhing like how about mike olt i, I you know there's a you guys got a couple ex-cubs on this team i wanted to talk about deonor navarro mike <laughs> olt and um uh the pitcher uh jacob turner Jacob Turner. Jacob Turner is going to be a project for pitching coach Don Cooper in spring training to see if he can get him back on track uh, after the injury. So, I mean, if you're Jacob Turner, I mean, he's just had bad luck. He's just been hurt. But now you're going from Chris Basio, who's a great pitching coach, to Don Cooper, who's a great pitching coach. I mean, you're having the best of both worlds, really, and you're getting every opportunity to show major league teams that you can still make it in the pros. Uh, so he'll be an interesting story in February, March, while we're in spring training. He's uh, young, let's talk too. about He's only 24 years old, and uh, right. he bounced around a bunch as well. You know, we got him from Miami. The Cubs did, but he started right. out with Detroit, so he knows the Central a little bit, the, the both Centrals. Yeah, it just unfortunately, Detroit and Miami, though, Danny, they don't have – 
the training staff or no. the pitching coaches like the Cubs and White Sox do. So that's where it's really going to be beneficial for Turner. I mean, if he's going to bounce back, it's going to be in Chicago where he learned some things from Basio and the training staff try to take care of him. Obviously, it ended up being a lot longer than I think even the Cubs thought it was going to take. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the White Sox are regarded as one of the best training staffs in Major League Baseball. So he'll be taken care of. And, I mean, honestly, if the White Sox can't make it work for him, I, I don't think any team's going to make it work for him. Because if you go through the Cubs training staff and Chris Basio and the White Sox training staff and Don Cooper, and you, they don't think you're going to cut it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't think any team, unless the Cincinnati Reds really need some starting pitching, which that might be the case. Um, back to Adam LaRoche, though, at first base. At the moment, LaRoche is the backup first baseman for the White Sox, where he will get starts at DH against right-handed starting pitching. In July, I had an opportunity to interview the head athletic trainer for the White Sox, Herm Schneider. And he told me during that interview that Adam LaRoche was suffering from a sore sore hands and that was impacting his performance at the plate. Well, what ended up I unearthed from that interview is the hammock bone, which is the pin bone in the middle of your hand, um, was really sore. And you'll hear players break that particular bone, and it's just like it's it's just like a little pin it on hooks. And uh, it's right in the middle of the hand, Danny. Mm-hmm. And the way that uh, Adam LaRoche holds the bat, he holds the knob in the middle of his hand. So every time he makes contact, the shock waves going down the wood bat end up being absorbed into the hand. The reason why there's a knob at the end of the bat is to absorb that energy. That's why all of us, when we were taught to hold a bat, hold above the knob. Right. Um, <laughs> He, he does not because he needs that bat speed. He, he needs to have it in the middle of his hand so he can snap his wrist because he just doesn't have the bat speed to catch up to 95-mile-per-hour fastballs, which is another problem. Uh, the White Sox tried to move him during the owners' meetings. Uh, they were trying to dump him in Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh had just let Pedro Alvarez go. And... You know, a lot of teams look at Pittsburgh and think, well, they have a hole at first base. Adam LaRoche is due $13 million, $13.5 million this season, and the White Sox were willing to eat $8 million of it. But the Pirates, the Pirates didn't want to pay the $5 million for him. So instead, the Pirates spent $4 million on John Jasso, um, who they just signed to play first base, who's got concussion problems. So I don't think he's going to solve their first base situation by any means. Um, but if, if no team is willing to spend $5 million on Adam LaRoche, if he was a free agent, you're looking at someone who's probably going to retire. Yeah. Just, be, just because there's not a lot of interest in the market for a 35, 36-year-old first baseman who just can't cut it. And this is where... There are some White Sox fans, Danny, that are concerned because if the White Sox do sign, they spend the money and they get a Jonas Cespedes, is he going to be like Adam Dunn and Adam LaRoche where they just completely fall flat on their faces and now you have all this dead money? Uh, I don't know if Adam LaRoche is going to bounce back. He had a bad 2013. People say it was fine. No, it's not fine. It was bad. His OPS was hovering around 700. That's not good. For a first baseman right. where you are expecting a lot of offensive production. He really bounced back in 2014. He had a very good year in 2014, which 
he was able to turn around and sign a two-year, $25 million deal with the White Sox, which in reality, Danny, is not a lot of money. Right. It's just not. But it, if having Adam LaRoche on this payroll is the reason why, at the end of the day, the White Sox don't sign Iona Cespedes because they cite payroll restrictions, then that's going to be stupid. Yeah, it's just going to be stupid, and White Sox fans are going to be really angry at the front office and ownership because this guy is not going to provide a lot of value. The the biggest value that Adam LaRoche can provide to the White Sox right now, in all honesty, is retire. Retire, <laughs> let the White Sox spend that $13 million elsewhere. And I, I, it is funny. It's It's funny, like dark comedy. I don't want you to play baseball anymore. I want you to quit. <laughs> He, I'm but looking in, at his picture here. He does have a lot of white hairs in his beard. It might be time. He could be part of a ZZ Top tribute band, Danny. <laughs> She's got legs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, he doesn't have legs anymore. That's for sure. Um, no. Uh, so what do you? So what do you do with the? What, nobody wants him, including the White Sox. So he's just kind of dead money, and you don't want him on the team. And do you release him? And well, pay the money, or you don't want to release him now and eat thirteen million dollars because that's a really hard sell to ownership. So the White Sox, I believe, at the end of the day, are going to give him at bats at DH. They'll give him starts at first base if he is really struggling by Memorial Day, late May, Danny. I think if they cut him, then uh, they only end up eating six million. Right, and you only have him for one more year. Yeah, this is his last year. Okay. So the money comes off the books, but like we mentioned, next year's free agency class is extremely weak. The White Sox could really use that money right now because they have a need in the outfield, and there is a solution out there that allows them to keep that 28th pick. They can keep that extra first-round pick from Jeff Samarja, plus really provide a boost offensively and defensively in the outfield in Jonas Cespedes. Um, but like I mentioned, it, White Sox fans will pull out the pitchforks and torches if they hear at the end of the day they could not sign somebody like Cespedes because of payroll restrictions, and they're restricted via payroll because they have dead weight in Adam LaRoche, Adam, mm-hmm. who is the highest paid positional player for the White Sox going to 2016. And uh, how about uh, Deion Navarro? What was that all about? So, uh, X-Cub, Evan, X-Cub alert. Woot, woot. The, so the White Sox acquired two catchers, uh, one from Detroit, Alex Avila, mm-hmm. and uh, Diarno Navarro. And I, I'm still confused in what the White Sox were trying to do with this move. So Tyler Flowers had knee surgery during the offseason. Uh, but offensive, I mean, it's not going to be that impactful. He's going to be fine. He'll be participating in all the drills when pitchers and catchers report in late February. However, for the, the White Sox, they cited their inside defensive projections. Uh, Tyler Flowers is great at framing pitches. He's one of the best catchers in getting extra strikes for the pitching staff. Which, if you love the game of baseball and you love the nitty-gritty of what happens on the field, that is extremely important, getting those extra strikes for your pitchers and being able to call the game. That is probably the most important aspect of catching today. Yes, blocking pitches, throwing out runners, 
stuff that we've heard since when we played Little League. Yeah, those are those are part of the job, but I don't think they're the most important. Well, for the White Sox, they saw an opportunity to improve offensively. They liked the game calling from both Avila and Navarro to let Tyler Flowers go. We're going to see the impact, I think, via pitching early in the year. Because if they are below average framing pitches, and then all of a sudden that slider for Chris Sale, which may have been called a strike last year looking, is not a strike looking anymore, and umpires are calling it a ball because Avila or Navarro can't frame that pitch, I I think hitters are going to have an easier time, not an easy time, but an easier time squaring up Chris Sale because they're just going to sit on the fastball. And that makes an impact on run prevention abilities for the White Sox. So that that's a head scratcher. And Rick Hahn believes adding Deanna Navarro gives the team an offensive boost. Sure. I mean, that's, you know, you can make that case, but we're talking about catchers here. He's a 31-year-old catcher. I mean, you know, he's been in the – he's squatted a lot of times at this point in yeah, his career. And, you know, he's and, been around for uh, over 11 years. Um, he's got a little pop. I mean, he hit 13 home runs for the Cubs in 2013 as a backup catcher and, yeah. um, and also a, a pinch hitter. So, I mean, he'll be backing up. He'll be the backup catcher for you guys, no. won't he? No, 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 I think he's going to be the starter. I think they signed him to be the starter. They're paying him more money than Avila. Uh, Avila, the problem with him is that he's got concussion issues. Mm. He's one foul tip away from having to retire at the age of 29. Wow. Uh, so uh, what the White Sox did at catcher, I, I don't agree with the thinking there. I don't think it's very sound. I Brett Lowry, personality-wise, rubs me the wrong way. I, I see. I, he's got a lot of Nick Swisher in him. Uh-huh. Uh, so either White Sox fans are just going to love this guy, or they're going to hate him. There's no in between. Well, uh, he's Canadian, so uh, take <laughs> you know. So it, you know that he's he's either one of those like um, Molson drinking hockey jerks or the nicest man in the world. They, 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 Can, Canadians don't come any other way. <laughs> and uh, Todd Frazier, which I, all White Sox fans are really excited uh, to see what Todd Frazier can do. But it just, at the end of the day, where the White Sox stand currently on New Year's Eve in 2015, it feels like they're still a piece away. But that piece is out there. They just need to spend the money for him. Uh, now, how about what happened to Jeff Samarja? You know, we, we let him go south. We let him take the red line down to 35th Street. And and the man uh, totally self-destructs. What happened? He's, he's getting into fights down there, bench-clearing <laughs> brawls. He doesn't like the Royals. <laughs> well, first you, first you first you put, you took him to Midway and you flew him out to Oakland. <laughs> Should have let and him then, go from O'Hare. <laughs> and then the White Sox picked him up from Oakland. You know, he said when he signed with the Giants, his problem was he was tipping his pitches. Uh, Don Cooper, from what I've heard through the grapevine, did not want him to throw the splitter. He wanted him to throw more of a two-seam fastball. That combination pretty much ruined Jeff Samarja's season, which it was too much tinkering with Samarja. And Samarja was just doing some things mechanically that made it really easy for hitters to know when a certain pitch was coming. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, White Sox fans could be upset with Don Cooper about that, and I get that. But at the same time, look at the results that Don Cooper was getting from Carlos Rodon in the second half of the season. Yeah. And when you are living in Chicago, knowing that your former pitching coach, Chris Basio, is just a text message or cell phone call away, uh, I don't have any proof that he did, but there's a lot of assumptions and a lot of rumors that in the later half of the year that Jeff Samarge was having a lot of conversations with Chris Basio to try to fix things. Uh, the last two starts for Samarja were Samarja like They were very good. Uh, August was garbage, complete garbage. And I think for the San Francisco Giants, they're gonna, they've already said they're going to let him throw the splitter again and let him be Samarja and not tinker with him at all. Uh, so watch Samarja have like a 2.8 ERA and win 18 <laughs> games for the San Francisco Giants because that ballpark's better for him. He's a fly ball pitcher, and it's really difficult to hit home runs in San Francisco. Uh, so he, he, Jeff Samarja will be very good in the National League again, and White Sox fans will be frustrated. And, yeah, that whole saga is going to be very frustrating and I wonder on a personal level how Samarja feels because the White Sox were his favorite team as a kid. And quite frankly, the one year of playing for his childhood favorite team is his worst season ever as a pro. Yeah. That's I mean, interesting. Yeah, it, it is interesting. I mean, and the thing about Jeff Samarja, and I, obviously I had a chance to watch him a lot, but he he was never as good as he thought he was. I mean, he always considered himself a number one I used to quibble with that and I said well maybe on the 2013 Cubs you're a number one but not on most teams you're a number three on most uh, contending teams you're a number three pitcher and you know he always thought he was worth the big money it was his walking year it was his contract year um I, I don't do, do you recall off the top of your head what he got from the Giants five years 90 million dollars which is uh, I believe less than what the Cubs had offered him in the first place to stay, and he turned it down. I mean, I think they offered him. I forget. It was right around there. It was, it was right, right around, around there. there, though. Yeah. So, and he turned that down uh, just a couple years ago. Um, you know, and yeah. I, I was happy to see him go. He's a kind of pitcher that if there's an error committed behind him, he kind of loses it. Loses his focus. You could see the frustration on his face, and it shows up in the way he pitches. You know, he then he, you know, he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna rear back." And you know what? When he rears back, his ball comes in straight, and uh, they hit it out of the ballpark, or they hit it off the wall for a double. And he, he just was never. I'm glad the Cubs didn't re-sign him. You know, uh, there was a lot mm -hmm. of got a lot of people clamoring for to get him instead of Lackey. Then you probably could have gotten him for similar dough. Um, I'm glad he's. I'm glad he's uh, that he's not a Cub. So I don't know how you feel about him not being a White Sox player, but it's just at the end of the day, it's a sour taste in the mouth watching. Yeah. Because in July he was great, he was fantastic. But I wonder now, in hindsight, when you look back at the 2015 season, if. Personally, he was motivated to pitch that well to see if the White Sox would move him to a winner. Because at the end of the day, that's what Jeff Samarja wants to do. He wants to pitch for a winning team. He wants to pitch in a playoff game. And in San Francisco, he's going to have that opportunity. I mean, that rotation now, Madison Bumgarner, Johnny Cueto, Jeff Samarja, 
that's uh that's pretty darn good. Oh yeah, it's excellent. Yeah, no, I think the Giants will be right back there next year. And it's, I mean, and it's an even year, so yeah, there you watch are. out, <laughs> watch <laughs> out for los gigantes. And uh, I just was reading about the Dodgers. Um, not to get into the NL West, but an all left-handed rotation. Yeah, they're gonna try that out. I mean, the White Sox are not that far away. I mean, the White Sox will have four lefties in their rotation, but. I mean, why not? I mean, if you have it, uh, to me, it doesn't matter what hand the starting pitcher throws as long as they don't have drastic splits, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, the the last guy I wanted to talk about a little bit is also an ex-Cub, Mike Olt. Yeah. Plays a little first, a little third. He had some vision problems. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cubs picked him up from the Rangers. Uh, Looked like he had a lot of pop. I watched him in spring training. Uh, you know, definitely could hit over 20 home runs in a year, I would say. But, um, you know, then you pick up Frazier, third bases is a natural position. He can play a little left field, I think. Um, where do you see Mike Olt fitting in with this White Sox team, or does he? Uh, I really don't think he really fits with this team. It'd be interesting if he makes a 25-man roster. The White Sox don't sign another shortstop. I'm curious if they do keep him on the 25-man roster as the the backup third baseman and a right-handed power bat for late-inning situations for Robin Ventura. Uh, We did get a chance to see a little pop from Mike Goltz where, yeah, he's got upper deck power, uh, just not a lot of contact. He's really not good defensively. He's He's got a good arm, just doesn't have very good hands. Yeah. Uh, I, I just don't see him as a starter. If the White Sox don't keep him on the 25-man roster, they'll uh, DFA him. They'll designate him for assignment, which yeah. puts him out in waivers, and teams have 10 days to pick him up. And you never know with injuries. If teams have a third baseman that gets hurt, they, he may sign somewhere else. Uh, but if he doesn't make the 25-man roster for the White Sox, they'll probably DFA him. And if he doesn't get picked up, he'll be in AAA um, maybe getting some time at first base to get more acclimated uh, with that position mm-hmm. uh, as the White Sox already have a failed third base project starting in Charlotte and Matt Davidson. Okay. And so, uh, you know, because he, he can play a little first, and, and I do see that that's – I mean, it's not a hold for you guys, but, um, you know, you, you got Abreu. Abreu is going to be your starting first baseman on opening day. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah, without a I mean, doubt. With, without, uh, I mean, barring any injury or whatever. So, yeah, yeah, knock on wood. Yeah, that's why I was wondering. It was kind of a str- – you picked Olt up at the end of last year, and um, it just – it was a head-scratcher and to me as well just because I, I watched him and, you know, I mean, you can't have a guy, a, a, a corner, a third baseman or a first baseman hitting under – the Mendoza line of 200, you know, you just can't have that. Right. It's, it's no, unacceptable. Can't. So but their um, base was such a disaster for the White Sox last year. So they just, they needed a human body, Danny, at the end of the year. <laughs> Somebody that's not dead. Anybody that's uh, still alive and could play a little third. Um, so what are you thinking? I mean, you look at the, the AL central, I mean, it, it mm-hmm. seems to be that the, you know, like you said earlier in the conversation, that the Royals seem to be somewhat depleted from their world's championship ways um, yep. from last year. It's, it seems like Cleveland could be right there again. Minnesota came on strong towards the end of the year. Detroit is always somehow in it. Um, 
it's this is a, a division that plays itself to even, isn't it? It does. It's really hard to project on how this division is going to shake out. And I think the next month uh, is going to be very telling to see where teams are going to be. At this moment, if you believe the White Sox were a true 76-win team, by adding Brett Lowry, who will be worth one and a half to two wins, and Todd Frazier, who will be worth three to four wins, uh, the White Sox now are, you're looking at an 81 to 84 win team, uh, with 84 being on the high side. Uh, so they're, they're a 500 team. Uh, the Indians right now, I believe, are projected to be an 87 win team. And the Royals, Twins, and Tigers are all projected to be 79 win teams. So those are really tight uh, as far as projections, which is even more reason why the White Sox should go out, spend the cash, and sign you on a Cespedes because then that projection gets them up to 87, 88 wins for 2016, and they are a legit contender to win the American League Central. Uh, I, I think for any team to win this division, because they're so close to each other talent-wise, as far as what's on the current roster, Danny, a lot of luck's going to have to be involved. Yeah. Who can stay healthy? Who can you know play past their projections? Who can have that breakout year? Uh, for the Tigers, will Justin Verlander be the Verlander of old? Can Miguel Cabrera stay on the field the whole year, including Victor Martinez? Mm-hmm. That's still a very, very dangerous offense. Can the Royals win despite not having very good starting pitching? Can the Twins have enough starting pitching to support a very young offensive force? And will that young offensive force face a sophomore slump? The Indians have a fantastic starting rotation, Right around, uh, right with the White Sox as probably the one, two best starting rotations in the American League. But that outfield is depleted. Michael Brantley, your best offensive out uh, outfielder, and maybe one of your best offensive players outside of uh, Jason Kipnis at second base, uh, is out either until June or August <laughs> with some reports. Uh, you have no support in the outfield. Um, so can the Indians score enough? And then, you, like I mentioned, the White Sox right now, adding Todd Frazier and Brett Lowry, they're at 500 or a couple games above 500. Uh, so uh, that's in the American League Central, everybody is neck and neck. It, it's not like the National League Central, which it's a three-team race and a five-team division where it's going to be the Cardinals, Cubs, and Pirates. Most likely, I'm going to say the Cubs are probably the division favorites going to 2016 as they're projected to win 100 games right now, which is just insane. Yeah. Um, but in but in the American League Central, it's funny the Cubs may have to win a hundred games, Danny, to win the division, just like the Cardinals did they last did, year. They couldn't. They won ninety-seven last year and uh, and finished third. And finished third, so. which is just insane for the American League Central, Danny. It may only take 85, 87 games to win the division. Yeah, so it seems like it would make sense for the White Sox to dig deep into those pockets and uh, put something on the field because you know White Sox fans, if the team is mediocre. They don't show up. But if the team is good, they'll come. Right. And, they, and, and then they'll get their money. Yeah. The, maybe not in April and May because of the weather situation. Um, <laughs> it's it's weird for the White Sox. I don't know how it is for the Cubs. With the first 13 games for the White Sox, Danny, 10 of them are on the road. Yeah. We, to start we the open season. On the, yeah, Cubs open on the road as well. Um, so we, yeah. we're, we're, we're gone. And uh, 
luckily for me, we're in warm weather environments. So I'll be out in uh, Los Angeles. We open with the Angels and then go straight to uh, Arizona. Nice. So, nice. Uh, the White Sox start in Oakland. Nice. Woo! Yeah, well, that's it. Well, Oakland's not particularly warm in April, but it's it'll be nope. it'll be <laughs> hell of a lot warmer than Chicago, most likely. And uh, so, are, are you going to take what? What are you doing this year? Are you taking any trips? Where are you going to go see the pale hose? You know, I I don't know. That's a good question. I I have to take a look at the schedule. Uh, my girlfriend is a consultant, so she travels all the time. So that will play a factor. She's in a market where the White Sox are going to be for a weekend series. Uh, yeah, I'm totally going to take free advantage hotel. of her. Yeah, free hotel and airline points to, <laughs> to yeah. go see the White Sox on the road. I, I don't have anything planned, um, but I am very excited for the Cubs-White Sox series to the four-gamer this year, too. At the cell Monday, Tuesday, and then the final two Wednesday, Thursday at Wrigley, uh, because it's on July 24th through the 27th, I believe. Uh, it's in late July, which Tw- all 25th, the trade rumors. 25th through the 28th. Okay, there we go. 25th through the 20th. A lot of trade rumors will be happening. Both teams could be in, you know, if both teams are in first place, Danny, the city will be buzzing. It's just Mm -hmm. the Cubs are going to be really good, whereas the White Sox will be pretty good, but that might be enough. I mean, but there's a difference as far as quality of teams. Yeah, well, um, it's going to take, obviously, for the Cubs to to win the Central. It's going to take the – it's going to take – not the well we all the rookies last year everybody's heard of the sophomore slump um mm-hmm. you know also you've got the aspect of uh, the cubs were it, cubs were abnormally healthy last year yeah that you know it there's so many i mean i remember 1984 to 1985 i i don't know how i i probably am a little older than you are so i was 1 year old yeah i was uh, i was 10 and going into 11 so um you know, '84, they you know they they run away with the division. They lose to the Padres, and then you know everybody's waiting because it's the same guys. They're going to throw them out there again. You know, the same ex- almost exact team. All five of the the starters for the Cubs went on the DL at the exact same time, and yeah. the, and the season was lost. You know, and uh, there was a couple of years ago, Derek Lee broke his wrist. Season's lost. You know, I don't feel like the Cubs are running their operation in that way where you're where you're relying on one uh, player so much that if they go down, like let's say Jake Arrieta misses two months of the season with the road, uh, with a uh, you know some sort of shoulder issue or whatever, um, I, I feel like we've got the depth to be able to, to you know still at least play 500 ball till he comes back, you know, where, mm-hmm. which is kind of what you need. Um, I think. That's the way that uh, great teams are built right now, that you spread it around the diamond and it's and you're not just waiting for like, you know, an Albert Pujols to hit a grand slam. And if he doesn't, you lose. You know, I, I feel like um, it's changed a little bit the way the, the game has changed. You, you see a team like the Royals who basically win with late inning heroics in a bullpen. The game has changed like we're, we're looking at guys playing pepper again in a way yeah yeah that's a good point so Very good point. so uh yeah man it looks like the white Sox have improved i hope you guys improve more because you know it would be great to have uh the world series 
be an all Chicago World Series next year. And, we and can, watch the city burn. Yeah. And we can finally avenge 1906. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah, 110 years to the day. Um, oh, man. So, I mean, I, I'm still heartbroken over 06. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I mean 1906, not 2006. Um, well, uh, how's the podcast going? Uh, Southside Sox, you, you, you guys uh, cranking out podcasts all off season? Uh, our, we're on break. We're on hiatus. Unless the White Sox make a, uh, a major move, then we'll do a live show. Uh, but season three of the Southside Sox podcast starts up again on February 1st, 2016, as we will be reporting from Sox Fest. And from there, we'll be doing a show every single week. And starting in April, we're going to have two episodes a week. Uh, one on either Wednesday or Thursday uh, to recap the first series of the week. Uh, and then, of course, our regular scheduled show every Monday morning uh, to recap the week and all the happenings for the White Sox. Cool. Um, and w- where's South Sox, uh, 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 Sox Fest going to be? You guys doing Denny's again? <laughs> <We're> <laughs> I just be, had um, to get a little, Sox little Fest jab. Is at, uh, is at the Hilton Chicago on South Michigan Avenue. Cool. Um, yeah, well, it's, I'm, it, you know, I don't know too many guys uh, that are as knowledgeable about the entire league and the White Sox as you are. So um, to, to my listeners, I just want to say that if uh, you have a Sox fan friend or uh, you got to turn them on to Southside Sox and the podcast and also the, the website, if, if they don't know about it yet, they should because, um, you know, it's always a, a great thing to have you on the show because – you you know stuff. You know lots of stuff. And I could just sit here and talk to you about uh, it, really any team in the major leagues, it seems, and you'll have something to say about it. And um, so check out Josh Nelson and all he does. Yeah. Cause he, he, no, he, thanks again, Danny. I greatly appreciate it, man. He kills it. All right, cool, man. Well, thanks for coming on the Sunranto Show. And uh, I guess go Cubs and go White Sox. Yeah, I'll see you in July, sucker. Yeah. <laughs> cool, man. Well, uh, thanks for coming on. I'll, I'll uh, talk to you in in uh, in hopefully hopefully nicer weather than what we're experiencing today in the frozen tundra of Chicago. <laughs> Chat with you in 2016, buddy. All right, cool, man. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Later, brother.
I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. 
I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 